Well, the latest uh, virus that has caught the world's attention is the Zika virus, but there have been, of course, many, many, many others. And there is fear that uh, one of these viral outbreaks is going to turn into a contagion and then uh, become a worldwide pandemic. And that means the loss of perhaps millions of lives. My next guest uh, has studied extensively uh, how viruses and uh, pandemics get started. She's a science journalist and author. Her name is Sonia Shaw. She has a new book out. It's called Pandemic, Tracking Contagious Attracting Contagions from Cholera to Ebola and Beyond. Uh, Sonia, nice to have you on our program. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. So explain for us how a virus that occurs somewhere in the world can, can blow up and spread into being a pandemic. How does that happen? So over the past 50 years, we've had more than 300 infectious pathogens either newly emerge or reemerge into new places where they've never been seen before. Um, we've seen Zika right now, but also Ebola last year um, came up in West Africa. I hadn't ever seen it there before. New, new kinds of avian influenza, um, new kinds of coronaviruses like the one that caused SARS, um, the, a new one that's coming out of the Middle East called Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And basically they come out, they're emerging out of animals. Most of these are coming out of about 60% of these new pathogens originate in the bodies of animals, mostly wildlife. And it's when people disrupt wildlife habitat that people and wild animals come into closer contact and these pathogens can jump from their bodies into ours. And then, of course, we carry them around the world on our airplanes, and um, we're really rapidly urbanizing around the world, especially in tropical areas and in poor countries. Mm -hmm. um, and this allows these pathogens to really amplify, and then they become bigger and bigger. So what's, do, do scientists have a sense of, of where the next big pandemic virus is going to come from or, or what its origins will be? Well, we know what the drivers are that um, allow these new pathogens to emerge. So it's things like um, invasion of wildlife habitat, um, a lot of slums, or urban expansion, um, when there's not a lot of infrastructure. Um, intensification of livestock agriculture is another driver. A lot of uh, flight connections, new kinds of population mobility. All of these things combine to allow pathogens to spread into human populations. And we know where these things are occurring. So you can create kind of a, a map of the world with hot spots of where these new diseases are most likely to emerge. Now, that's not to say that's where they're most likely to strike. I mean, as we've seen with the Zika virus, it came out of, it came out of the equatorial forests of Africa and Asia, but here it is washing over the Americas. Is it most likely that uh, the virus would come from, you said uh, animal life, but is, is, are birds more likely to carry these? It's usually, it's usually um, mam other mammals, um, like uh, we're getting a lot of these new diseases from bats, for example. Uh -huh. um, bats are other mammals like us, but they fly, and, you know, they have a different immune system because, they, because of their ability to fly. And so um, we're getting Ebola from bats. We've gotten a virus called Nipah virus, Marburg virus. There's a number of different pathogens we're getting, out of, getting from bats. But, you know, we also have gotten a lot of pathogens from non, other non-human primates like monkeys and chimpanzees. We got malaria, HIV, Zika virus. All of these things are from other primates. 
And then also from birds, we're getting things like West Nile virus and all these new kinds of influenza viruses as well. It's uh, ironic because we're uh, also learning that we need bats uh, in order to control uh, insect populations and uh, just for the amount of uh, insects that uh, uh, bats eat uh, at night. And so we don't want to discourage them uh, from that perspective either. No, of course not. So it's really not about, like, destroying these populations of wildlife that have these microbes in them. It's really about allowing them to have habitat so that we're not living in such close contact. I mean, that's happening with bats because of deforestation, mostly. We're getting rid of a lot of bat habitat, so bats are moving into human communities because that's where there's trees left in gardens and farms and things like that. We we think, we believe, I guess, that uh, organizations like the World Health Organization um, can respond fairly quickly to any outbreak that threatens to uh, uh, go worldwide, and, and we've seen them act uh, in the past. But just how well prepared uh, are humans for something like uh, a new avian virus? I mean, I think the avian influenza uh, viruses that are coming out of Asia in particular are pretty alarming because those can potentially spread really rapidly. And, of course, we see that every year when we have our seasonal influenza pandemics um, that we don't really take too many measures to stop those. You know, everyone pretty much gets them or is exposed to them. Um, we hardly take even the ordinary measures like getting flu shots and, and washing our hands, mm-hmm. which we know can work. So if one of these avian influenzas, these new ones, um, you know, kind of gets gets caught up in our flight system and is allowed to uh, circulate in human populations, I don't think we would really be, you know, if it had even a slightly higher mortality rate um, than the seasonal varieties, like, I think that that could be pretty catastrophic, really, and that's, that's kind of the kind of scenario that keeps a lot of virologists up at night right now. How big of a deal, how big of a threat is the Zika virus? I think the Zika virus is a, it's a really interesting example of what's been happening with, all, with a lot of these new pathogens. It comes out of animals. Um, it kind of hopped a flight out of Asia, came into the Americas, where it's spreading really rapidly because of, you know, this mosquito called Aedes aegypti, which is an urban mosquito that specializes in living around, you know, human garbage and in cities and only bites humans, unlike in Africa and Asia where the mosquitoes that carried Zika virus um, mostly bit uh, animals. So for all these reasons, Zika is spreading so rapidly. The other thing that's interesting about Zika is it, it's very cryptic. So most of the people who have it don't know they have it because they don't have any symptoms. And even the people who do have symptoms, they're so mild that most of them probably wouldn't even think to get diagnosed or do anything. So meanwhile, these people are walking around spreading the virus to other mosquitoes and therefore to other people. And what we now understand increasingly is that it's very dangerous for babies, for pregnant women and their babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so it's, a, it's, it's an interesting example of these new pathogens because, you know, we often think of pandemics as uh, causing death rates to go up, but what we might see with the Zika pandemic is that birth rates will fall. Interesting. Now tell me about uh, the ongoing problem of drug-resistant uh, bacteria uh, it's it's becoming a, a or has become a, a significant issue uh, in hospitals, and uh, the race is on to try to produce new and, and better antibiotics that uh, that will actually work. Uh, what's the status of that? Where do we stand with all that? 
Well, it's, it's, this is a problem that has started from the beginning of our use of antibiotics. You know, one by one, bacteria have evolved ways to resist whatever bac- antibiotics we throw at them. And it's happening, it's happening faster and faster now. So just in the past year, we've had the emergence of a new kind of, a new gene that can move into different bacteria that allows bacteria to resist our very last resort antibiotic which is a drug called colistin. Um, it's not really used in humans very much because we save it for these, you know, very drug-resistant cases, um, but it is used widely in livestock agriculture, and so this is probably linked to, you know, why we're seeing resistance to this, uh, to this antibiotic now. And that's one of, the, one of the big issues, one of the big problems about this, I think, is the, uh, you know, domestic livestock being given uh, antibiotics over so many years. Exactly. I mean, we've known since, you know, the 1940s that if you use these drugs in a way that's not medically necessary, then you will, you know, you'll provoke the evolution of these resistant bugs. And um, that's exactly what we've done. I mean, here in the United States, 80% of the antibiotics that are consumed are, are used for commercial purposes. They're not, not for medically necessary purposes, and that is because they're used for livestock. So this, this, you know, this commercial use is really driving um, the the evolution of these antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And one by one, you know, we're losing drugs at work, and drug companies are not producing new antibiotics fast enough to keep up with that. 